This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's a place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome, folks. Dr. Charles Parker one more time here at Core Brain Journal. And we're inviting a really interesting guest back for a second tour. And this is an old friend of mine, true disclosure. I mean, we've been friends for actually many years now. We met long ago at a Chad conference, and we've been back and forth. I've had the privilege of interviewing Jeff Copper one previous time, and then he's interviewed me a few times on, on actually, I've got on my, <laughs> on my YouTube channel several different interviews because Jeff has these really cool ideas, and we talk for about three minutes and get a little YouTube piece out of it. So, Jeff, welcome aboard. I look forward to talking with you. Dr. Parker, I am I can't tell you I'm grateful that you uh you brought me onto the show. You know, I'm a big fan of uh your work, but also your thought process, you know, that of, of clarity and details matter. And so I'm just I'm it's an honor to be your guest. You're very kind, Jeff. I feel the same way about you. So let me just go ahead and do, say a couple of words from our sponsors, and then I'm going to go ahead and introduce uh, Jeff after that. So everybody here at CBJ knows how much we love the reality of data, and we're into data. And today we're welcoming our new clinical friend and sponsor partner, Direct Health Access Laboratory. They have been testing folks for years, a direct uh, descendant, if you will, from Dr. Bill Walsh. With over 3 million studies, they are deep leaders of experience with the big picture of measuring, for example, methylation, cryptopyrrole, and copper. And that's just a part of their action. There's a lot going on over there. They provide a global service with a molecular focus. Stay tuned. We'll talk more in mid-cycle here. And then the other folks that we want to talk to you about is you also know, in addition, how much we appreciate detailed improvements of the actual mind care itself. And today we're pleased to welcome our other new CBJ sponsor and partner with a deep interest in fresh options for adolescent and child treatment to address the complexity of treatment failure, both nationally and internationally. And their unit, James Berry Robinson Center, is built TRICARE friendly. So they provide a holistic environment that sets children, teens, and families on the path to a different kind of more constructive healing. From personal experience here in Norfolk, I know their work with families that we've shared, and they have a truly different, improved residential experience. More in a moment on that one as well. So let me tell you a little more about Jeff, folks. Uh, those of you who don't know him, and I can't imagine anybody that's listening to this program that doesn't know because we're both on the same path. Jeff has been way ahead of me in terms of really helping the public stay tuned with what needs to uh, be learned and understood about the evolution of what's going on with mind science, specifically as it relates to executive function. And Jeff has been out there in the airwaves for many years now. I mean, Jeff, how many years have you been doing this? Oh, gosh. Uh, Sorry to put you on the spot. Seven and a half. Seven and a half. I mean, you're an old dog, Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) So he's got the blog. He's got, uh, you know, Attention Talk Radio. He's got YouTube channels loaded with videos and audio programs from, from some of the leading authorities. I'd say almost every leading authority in 
uh, executive function, ADHD recovery land. And then he also, and that YouTube is called Attention Talk Video. So he does the audio, he does the video. And the real coolie, cool thing about Jeff is he has, in addition to all of that business, interviewing people, running around with recording equipment and so on, he is an ADHD attention coach. And he is, yeah, he practices in Tampa, Florida, but it really, hey, doesn't make any difference with virtual things the way they are. Jeff and I have shared patience. I've been an honor again to work with him because we're really singing from the same hymnal. And I know when Jeff is working with a virtual patient of mine, I just know what kind of quality care they're going to get. So I really appreciate uh, working with Jeff in, in, in those. I'm going to tell a couple other things. He is on iTunes with his uh, radio, and he is also on AHA Radio. We were just talking a little bit about that, uh, which is a new for new automobiles coming out. So, Jeff, tell us a little bit about yourself first, and then we're going to get into this really challenging topic. I'm going to tease everybody with it for just a second. We're going to talk about the constructive use of procrastination, if you can imagine that. I mean, <laughs> it has been such a pejorative word. Do you procrastinate? You are so bad. I think you need medication. No, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about procrastination. We're actually going to elaborate on that in a much larger sense in terms of what is good and bad. What how is our timing affected? We'll talk more about that in a minute. Before we do that, Jeff, please tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're doing right now. I think that for the purposes of this show, what, people, what the listeners need to understand is I have dyslexia and a learning disability in my entire life. I have struggled um, cognitively with the world, if you will. And over the years, I was, I was basically, as a child growing up, like anybody else's these days, and the experts were stuffing the normative solutions down my throat, and it was very frustrating because it really wasn't working. And as I matured and got um, older, I was fortunate enough to be an athlete to go to college on a swimming scholarship, and I probably might not have even been able to get into college had it not been for that. But when I did make it to college and all the experts weren't telling me what to do, I had a few epiphanies along the process, and I began to kind of focus on how I think and how I do things. And over the years, I, I began to learn there was an efficiency of, of the way I did things. Because if I can conceptually understood how things were put together, then I didn't really have to understand the details. And in college, reading is a challenge for me, as is writing. And I learned to skim through text and pick up the gist and really understand fundamentally how things are put together. And the reason that's important is to understand I am an ADHD coach, but I really catch myself as an attention coach because what I do is I think I coach people's attention, which is very different from anything else because, you know, Dr. Parker, only you can witness inside your head what you're paying attention to. So effectively, I'm like a blindfolded basketball coach. I can't see the action on the court. All I can do is ask questions of the person I'm working with and the two of us figure out how they think and how they process and how they put things together or to understand what gets in the way of them doing things and manifests in the world as procrastination. And through my own needs, I have found things that work for me. And I feel like I kind of cracked the code a little bit on how to witness attention on an individual level so that people can begin to manage it um, more for what you're, what you're noticing and not the 
appearance or the symptoms. And, you know, I've interviewed you so many times about various things about how the dogma of the day is to, is to judge things on appearance, and you like to go so much deeper. So in summary, I came about to be in doing what I'm doing is because of my own issues and I'm trying to get to the root of things so that I can simplify things if I can down to one inch in a way that makes sense. And if I can just pay attention to that one thing and be able to figure it all out, that's, that's kind of how I work. And that's what I bring, I think, to my radio show and to my coaching practice. I'm trying to simplify things down in, in ways that people can understand and process and execute. So well said, you know, you think about what's going on in the coaching industry. So many people do say, well, hey, I'm an ADHD coach. Well, what they're saying without being aware of it, and of course you are, that's why you're, that's why you're breaking yourself out in a more, in a different way. Uh, ADHD coach is doing something with the diagnosis and you're doing something with the function. And that's a really key differentiation. So when you say you're an attention coach, that is really dealing with the function of executive function, which has to do with attentional aspects, as opposed to what does this diagnosis mean? You're, you're much further down the road. You're, you're in contemporary um, neurophysiology land as soon as you start talking about uh, function and attention. So that really, that brings us to the next question, Jeff, and that is, let's talk a bit. I really want to express my appreciation to you because you kind of brought it up. I, I think it was you, and I, I'm quite sure it was you. We started talking about procrastination. And it's so commonly thrown around as an aspect of executive function. And I say thrown around, I think people use the process of procrastination reductionistically, just as the phrase or the diagnosis, the label ADHD is used reductionistically. And we don't really have a chance oftentimes because it's such a pejorative thing and it's a bad thing to really look at timing, which is the larger question here, because timing, in my opinion, about all this is, is really everything with executive function recovery. And it's not even in the book. Timing is not in the outdated diagnostic manual. How people react to situations in context is not there. I mean, yes, if they do psychological testing, they get a chance to see how it works with certain types of testing and timing. So let's talk a little bit about how procrastination came up to your head, Jeff, as something that people would be interested in. So I, I, I'd like to just kind of walk through a simple way that I look at this. But before we do, for our listeners out there, one of the things that Dr. Parker and I, we kind of deal in the same space, but from very, very completely different angles. And be careful of our language a little bit here, because I, I, I explain things in different ways. But if you, under, if you listen to what's under it, the gist of it, a lot of times, a lot, the words are confusing, but we're really kind of getting at the same thing. So I encourage, and I will try to tie some of that stuff together as I explain some of this. But to begin with, as a coach, my job is to help people move forward. It's, it's, it's not about how you did it yesterday or how you feel. It's what are you going to do tomorrow and how are you going to accomplish it. And what's fascinating to me is I, years ago, I started watching that TV show called Brain Games. And I actually interviewed a couple of people that were on that show. It was fascinating because that show talks about visual perception. And what I learned about it is the brain learns to take shortcuts. It fills in the gaps. 
And it begins to jump onto things. Sometimes it's legis- le- legitimate, and other times it latches onto stuff, and it doesn't really stop to think about it. Like sometimes to me, there's basic observation, like motivation to me. People talk about how somebody needs to get motivation. Well, motivation is what you actually do. And as Dr. Olive already said, you'd be dead if you weren't motivated. And mm-hmm. so if you, if you just use simple observations, you begin to watch some stuff. What Brain Games had taught me is that we kind of fill in the gaps and we tell ourselves stories, which is in one sense efficient, but in another sense, it kind of misguides us. So with that being said, Dr. Park, I found a lot of the internet solutions that people look at to get past procrastination, like chunk it down, uh, visual reminders, uh, these types of things. They deal symptomatically with procrastination, but I've learned over the years they're not sustainable long-term solutions. So for example, I found that people with ADHD procrastinate when something's repetitive, boring, and routine. And if you've got a lot of things that are like that and you chunk it down, then you have an overwhelming number of things that are repetitive and boring. You don't really address the fact that you need to make it exciting. And so by getting to take a look at the roots that, that cause of what's going on and try to break it down into some fundamental factors for people to look at what they can do. And I think this is an area that that, that goes back to that language thing is those with ADHD, their brain is on autopilot. There's the the automatic brain and they have the executive functioning brain and the executive functioning is very effortful. It has to kind of kick in and over overtake or override the automatic brain to get you to kind of pause. And all too often in our world, I find those with ADHD, they're programming, they just kind of go along. And what I try to do is help them know what to look for so they can stop and override it, the automatic response, and begin to take a look at really some areas that they can focus on. And if they do that, will actually kind of help them go forward. And I'll talk about that for a second, but I want to pause for a second and give you an opportunity to comment on this so far, Dr. Parker, to share your thoughts. Well, you know, it's, it's so interesting because uh, I've had the privilege of talking to some other people, Jeff, and, and I know you're going to be interested in their comments as well, because one of the reasons I'm doing it is the same reason you're doing your interviews is because it's not only a fun thing to hear these people, but it's a learning opportunity for, for you and me because we're talking to some very interesting people who've had a diversity yep. of experiences different than ours. And so they bring some interesting stuff to the table. And one of the things that has come up recently, which is absolutely germane to the differentiation that you were making about uh, basically thinking fast and thinking slow, uh, is a book, uh, you know, by Kahneman called Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow, which you will like. And, and I have two mm-hmm. recent interviews, one John Kennedy, who was training warriors on the process of thinking correctly about reality. And another guy, Dr. Gleb Zapersky from Ohio, who has a whole uh, program of really understanding the difference between systems one and systems two thinking, and which is what uh, Kahneman goes into yep. in thinking fast and slow. And, and so you said, yep, so you're familiar with what I'm talking about. I think it's so darn interesting because it's, ap- it's totally right on the line with what we're talking about. So, so, so yeah, so uh, uh, one of the things is, is a, and the theorists go out there and they try to explain the, the why, 
something is the way it is. Everybody, one of my jobs is not just to understand the why, but how do I get you from point A to B, or how do you get yourself from point A to B? And I've learned over the years that the, the word how is a fascinating word because there's different kinds of how. There's how do you operate something, methodical how, and insightful how, which is really too much for me to get into right now. But that's one of the reasons that I love about Dr. Barker. He's always focused on how things how, how the process, because I think you actually said one time, you don't understand something if you don't understand the process of it. And so yeah. with that being said, what I found to be exceptionally effective, effective in coaching those with ADHD around procrastination is I literally have them make a list of everything they procrastinate on and they go through. And the idea is on each one of them that you're stuck with, number one, are you confronting somebody? Number two, do you know how long it's going to take? Number three, is it repetitive, boring, and routine? Number four is what's ambiguous. And number five is I call it fight, fight, or freeze. And fight, fight, or freeze is a reason to procrastinate. That's a derivative of the other ones. In other words, when you haven't done something over and over and over, it becomes emotional and you begin to react to it on the perceived threat that you're not going to be able to do it. And I'll talk about that here in a second. Because at the end of the day, I think so often nobody ever talks about how a person does stuff, and that's those with ADHD know what they're supposed to do. Their challenge is doing what they doing what they know they should do. In other words, putting it together. And so I want to illustrate this as an example, literally, and I'm and just for fun because I know we have a lot of mental health professionals looking at this because I've actually coached some psychiatrists before that have ADHD, and one guy I was explaining to him, you need to stop and think about. In a situation like returning a phone call on, on, or calling a guy on, he, this guy had had some speakers put into his house, and um, he needed to call and get the guy to come back and fix it because they weren't, weren't working. And he was just saying, hey, this is, this is, I just need to make this phone call. And I said, well, what's hard about it? When I say hard, it's also what's ambiguous about it. And he goes, there's nothing hard about it. And I said, really, what's, you know, have a telephone number? And he's like, yeah, I got that. I said, let's think about this. You got to call this guy up. You got to use your working memory and you've got to kind of visualize what the thing is and describe to this guy what the situation was. Then you've got to put your ideas and thoughts together to articulate a compelling reason why the guy needs to come back out and, and, and deal with this when he's already been paid. And then you actually have to schedule a time to do it. And you're at work all day. So you don't know what your wife's calendar is and this guy's calendar. And so we began to sit there and see, you see the ambiguity of how, number one, I've got to, I've got to recreate this in my mind to articulate it. How am I going to sell them on it? And how am I going to coordinate two people's schedule that I don't have any kind of control of it? And it's funny because as I began to talk to him about that, he began to witness like, oh, this is a little bit harder than I think. And there's a little bit of ambiguity, like how is he actually going to pull the scheduling stuff? And it's easier in that situation to go do something that you know to do that's right in front of you. Another example, real quickly, as I was coaching a, a gentleman up in Canada who was in the financial services business and on his procrastination list was calling his relatives to tell him about his daughter's dance recital. And I said, what's hard? And he says, it's nothing hard. It's just to make a phone call. And I said, dude, it's on your procrastination list and you haven't done it. Like, did you eat this morning? Did you get dressed? Did you put gas in the car? All that stuff was easy, so what's hard? And he argued with me for a little bit. He finally said, well, he started thinking about it, and he began to realize what he does is he calls up the relatives and say the dance recital is on Thursday, you know, whatever. And then they ask him, what do we bring? What do we wear? Where do we park? And they start to ask all these questions that he doesn't know the answer. Now he's got to go back to his wife 
who sent him off in this cast to begin with, and he's got ADHD, and he's got a little fight, fight, or freeze in emotion because he was supposed to be able to go do this, and he didn't. It's boomeranging on her. So then he gets information. Now he's got to make a bunch of other phone calls to resolve this issue. And the point that I'm trying to make is that when something is complicated like that, and it's a lot of ambiguity, and you don't know what's what you're going to do or how long it's take, it's usually a pretty good reason and legitimate to drop what you're doing and do something that you can accomplish right now. And I found people rearrange their sock drawer before because they don't do these other things because cognitively it requires a lot of work or they're not clear. And the key really is, is if you're going to move past it, you stop and say, what is hard or what is it clear to me and figure out how do you make it easy or how do you get clarity? Because Dr. Parker, the winning formula to activation I've learned over the years is ease, and clarity. As long as it's not boring, if it's easy, you know exactly what to do, and it's right in front of you, people tend to do it. If it's hard, or if they're not real sure what to do, they tend to put it off. So I want to stop for a second so that you can uh, share your thoughts or comments on at least that part of what I said. No, I really appreciate it, Jeff. Uh, the complexity issue is it, and, and really what you were talking about is you started to really talk about procrastination. So a person who was not aware of the way you're thinking about these two examples would be thinking, well, these guys are just putting off. That's what they do. They're lazy and they're procrastinating. I mean, that happens so often with individuals who suffer with executive function problems. The external observer says you're just lazy or you're procrastinating. Yep. And really what yep. Jeff is saying, guys, is that there's a constructive answer. And he said it so well that if we just reframe what's going on there. It's a reframing process that's going on, dealing with the complexity. And that is, back to that thing I was talking about a moment ago, that systems two thinking. This is the evolution of humankind is based on resolving this basic issue. So go ahead, Jeff. I think that was a great point. So are you okay if I there's, I, I want to talk. I want to talk about a way of thinking about working memory to talk about why people procrastinate on when they don't know how long how things. Are you okay if I just sure. kind of run through? I'm gonna oh, I'm yeah. explain it as quick as I can. It's, no, but sure, I, it's great. important to understand this concept of of practically of how working memory might manifest to understand how that man, that works in the real world. Are you okay with that? Sure, sure, please. When I wake up in the morning, I go into my office, I hit the power button, my computer it takes 30 seconds to come up, I put my password, and then I go get a cup of coffee, because it takes about four minutes after that for my computer to be fully booted up and ready to go. Imagine, if you will, I, I, I turn on Microsoft Word, and I start typing something to Dr. Parker, and I get a, a word, a sentence or two into it, and then all of a sudden my computer, the power is lost, and my computer fritzes out. At that point in time, I've got to push the power button again, and I have to reboot up my computer. And this is the thing about working memory. When you start to work on a project, you actually kind of have to boot it up. You have to get your head into the game a little bit. And so in this situation, I wait for 30 seconds. I put my password in, and then I go screw around with some other things. Hopefully, I'm on task. Four minutes later, my computer's ready. I pull up Microsoft Word. Fortunately, I had auto-recovery, and I... I have what I was writing Dr. Parker. So then I read what I wrote to him and I'm trying to visualize and remember what I was going to say to him before, which takes a little bit of time. And then imagine I get distracted in the other room and all of a sudden the computer, same thing, fritches out again. And I go through the same routine. Only I get a little bit distracted, like I'm doing something when the computer gets back. My point really is, is if you think about this concept of booting your computer up, loading it all in so that you can begin to, to problem solve or do something, 
is when it gets unplugged, basically you have to reboot. You have to start over. And the scenario that I just described, you know, 15, 16 minutes have passed, and I've only got like two or three sentences to Dr. Parker. I haven't even finished what I'm doing. And I find those with working, I mean, those with ADHD, when they need to sit down, they need to learn something or they need to do something creative or they need to try to figure something out. They got to kind of got to boot it up in their mind and get their working memory to begin to juggle these things, which those with ADHD, the working memory is typically taxed, 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 and it's not easy for them to hold that. And so if they're sitting there working on an issue and somebody comes in and interrupts them or they've got to go to appointment, it's like their computer gets unplugged and effectively to get, to get back to where they were, they've got to start over often. And that can get pretty frustrating after a while, Dr. Barton, if you keep stopping and having to start over again and having to start over. And I find intuitively those with ADHD, what they'll do is when they've got that thing that they're not really clear on, they might have 20 minutes or 30 minutes, but since they know it won't take them that long, it's a very good reason not to engage themselves in it and have to start over. They go do something they can accomplish within that 30 minutes. But the problem is, is if the project might take six hours or 12 hours and you don't plan for it, that can get kicked down the street in the form of procrastination and nobody ever says, wait a second, my issue is working memory. I'm, I'm going to do this. What can I do when I work on projects so that I can document where I am? So if I can't, I can kind of come back to that point. In other words, mm -hmm. I'm writing these sentences to Dr. Parker, and then I can dictate, if you will, maybe my thoughts going on at that point in time. So when I read the sentences and I, I hear or see what I wrote, it will come back to me a lot quicker and I don't have to start over. And a lot of problem solving and a lot of projects and a lot of work go to this need to you use your executive function to you get your arms around it, but those with ADHD struggle with it. And if, you, if you're not cognizant of this and you're not managing it, a lot of times you're not doing things, again, for very legitimate reasons because of that unknown and you get some things done, but it shows up in the form of procrastination and you beat yourself up over it as opposed to, wait a second, what can I do when I get into these projects so that I don't have to reboot things or I can make that process a lot easier. So again, I'm, I'm, I'm integrating this concept of working memory that those with ADHD have challenging with and procrastination and saying, here, there's a little, a really legitimate reason this is going on. It's not until you stop and pause and think about this and address it that you can actually begin to manage it. So again, I'd like to give you an opportunity to throw your two cents in. Well, thanks, Jeff. You know, you're really saying some very, very important things because you're dealing as you're describing that situation, you're dealing with two realities. And I think this is where people do get uh, off the beam. They lose, they fall off the track with uh, two issues. The one is that people do get focused on the reality of the computer and that task that's related to the computer and whether it's booting up or whatever. But I think the other thing that's so interesting about this conversation, and, and I appreciate your shedding light on it, is the reality of time. Because if we don't really think about time as a reality, we don't deal with it realistically. I mean, if we think it's just a given or somehow uh, as a euphemism or a dream or a fantasy or something, it was, instead of saying, look, here is the reality of time in a relationship to this project, yep. then you're in a completely different thing because then this whole thing we were talking about at the introduction regarding procrastination becomes good self-management, not procrastination. It becomes adaptive life force as opposed to I'm confused. Where do I go? What do I do? You, 
and forgive me, I don't remember if I talked about this topic, but I see ADHD as not a deficit of attention, but a self-regulation issue. The yeah. ability to engage your attention in things and the ability to right. unengage your attention in some other things. And when you start talking about time and, and self-regulation and stuff, it's really to stop and kind of witness yourself and actually manage yourself, mm-hmm. which, you know, it speaks a little bit to that. We're using different vernacular, the kind of like overriding. And to me, the things that I'm describing to you and the examples that I'm giving you are to give people the ability to see how it plays out and see it in their own world and stop and do that. And the reality of time is a big deal. I find what's really important is is understand the reality of time and also understand the reality is, let's take learning. How long does it take you to learn something? It takes you as long as it takes to learn it. You can't shortcut it. You can loan cut it, but there's a reality to it. And sometimes it's not as predictable as you might think. Like, I can't necessarily learn calculus in two weeks. Maybe I could. Maybe I can't. Creativity is something else that there's a process that facilitates it, but it's an all or nothing thing. It comes to your, it doesn't. And you can't schedule tomorrow morning, oh, Dr. Barber, I'm going to go in, I'm going to lay an egg to the most beautiful concept that ever happened at 10 o'clock. It just doesn't work that way. And so the reality is to understand time. But also the reality is also to understand that some things you can't control time on, and you got to give space for that to happen and facilitate it, which goes back basically witnessing yourself, manage yourself, and learning how to self-regulate um, and not get so caught up in the emotion. I'm not – you're not a bad person because you procrastinate. I have found usually there's a legitimate reason for it, and what I try to do is help unearth that so that we can deal with the reality of what's getting in the way. So – Again, I want to give you an opportunity to comment. Well, that is so well said. I mean, we're talking, we're both singing from the same hymnal. We're, in, we're actually in the same choir. I mean, the, sometimes yep. the words are a little off, but I mean, that whole self-regulation thing is really managing the most common presentation of executive function problems. As you said a moment ago, it's not a deficit, it's an abundance. It's, it's too much going on that's not well organized. And it's not like it's it's not like people are brain dead or they've got nothing going on. Sometimes to a person who suffers with this, they feel like nothing's going on because they're in this state of brain spaghetti. I mean, they're in, they're in the La Brea tar pit of their mind. They're, they're stuck in something. They're not stuck in nothing. They're stuck in something. Yep. And that something, that thing that's clinging to them and dragging them down is the abundance of thought and, and, and their awareness that time is passing. Part of the problem becomes a, an externalized, you know, omniscient observer, if you will. I'm watching the time pass and I'm not where I want to be. So that's a whole other aspect to what you said so well a moment ago. Well, you know, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time because we're talking about procrastinating, but one of my favorite things to coach people on is time. And uh, I, real quickly, I was, I was coaching somebody one time, and you know, they wanted coaching on time management. And, and this, I kind of do this a lot because it's, it's, it happens a lot. It's, it's actually really fun. They go, you want to coach on time? Management? Yeah. So what's, what's the deal? I'm late. Really? How late are you? I had 10, 15 minutes late. Really? 10, 15 minutes late? You're ever an hour late? No. Nah, well, sometimes when I really with them, but usually I'm 10, 15 minutes late. All right. You ever on time? Well, yeah by accident, but you know, so what I'm hearing is 90% of the time you're 10, 15 minutes late. They go, yeah, I go, okay, what's your recipe? They go, what? I go, no, think about it. If you're always 10 minutes late, you must have a system. Like what's your system? Mm-hmm. And they, it's funny because they don't know what to say to that because they've never really witnessed their attention. Mm-hmm. And kind of like 
when I'm, t- when I'm talking about procrastination earlier, I'm getting people to pause and go, let's, let's get off the emotional side. Let's stop and think about kind of what's going on. And, you know, Dr. Parker, what's been fascinating to me over the years in coaching people on time management, I literally had one physician who was like, we began to realize they didn't have a time management problem. They always showed up 10 minutes late because they didn't like to be bored. Like they walked in and they were kind of ready to go. But cognitively, it was just kind of fun to play with them a little bit for them to stop and kind of witness their process to manage time and actually acknowledge that they realize that they don't like to be bored and they have a legitimate reason why they show 10 minutes late. And what's fun is by the time we got done is they didn't have a time management problem. We began to realize they had a flawless one that was working perfectly for them. So again, I don't want to digress too far off the topic, but this is kind of the power of paying attention to attention and working with people to kind of help them stop and think about kind of how they put things together. So again, I'm going to give you an opportunity maybe to chuckle on that one. Well, listen, Jeff, we're going to take a minute to take a break here, but I'm going to tell you a question okay. that I'm going to ask when we get back, because I think this is an interesting conversation that's drawing down to a couple of additional elements, and that is what you were saying in the beginning. What I'm going to ask you when we come back after this break is how you, in fact, structure recovery. Now, that may be too big a question, but I know that you said a little bit about it just a moment ago But I think everybody here is like, okay, now I'm seeing this whole time thing a little bit better. When we come back, I'm going to ask you, how do you actually work with an individual to do just that? So let's take a break. Well, you folks already know that here at Core Brain Journal, we're on a mission to introduce you to resources that make significant contributions to the investigation of those predictable mind science applications. Our colleagues at DHA Lab Group provide a real difference with treatment options for people at every level, from first awareness of mind problems to those frustrating times when even well-informed treatment becomes surprisingly unpredictable. For my entire professional life, from psychoanalysis to brain scans, I've searched for, yes, improved predictability. The good news for all of us, from professionals to patients, remarkably effective research offers useful cost-effective, organic options far beyond guesswork with psychiatric medications alone. DHA lab tests measure unbalanced biomedical details through easily available testing, now available globally for a variety of molecular answers from, for example, methylation, copper, and cryptopyrrole challenges. Check in for more details at dhalab.com core. That's D-H-A-L-A-B.com forward slash core. Well, folks, you know as well as I do that psychiatric treatment failure, especially after multiple medication trials and those very, very brief hospitalizations, may prove insufficient to deal at home with the complexity of troubled children and, and those adolescents from 6 to 17 years old. Improved care, those next mandatory steps, should include a more comprehensive approach to address those multiple levels of challenges, from family to peers to school, diagnostically from defiance to depression, on every level for families, including military families, internationally. The Barry Robinson Center's 32-acre open college-like campus in Norfolk, Virginia, provides safety and security and clean, comfortable living How do we know we refer folks over there all the time, strongly endorse what they're doing? So for further information and informed interview, connect at this page, barryrobinson.org forward slash core. Well, welcome back, folks. Here we are. And we're going to ask Jeff that interesting question because 
so many of our core brain audience are interested in, okay, that's great. The theory is great. Just what you were saying a moment ago, Jeff. Now, what can we take home? What can we do with this whole thing? Because it's such an interesting additional concept that we can really take it to the bank if we really understand a little bit better. So how do you how do you work with people in that regard? Do you have any specific? Well, what I want to ask you first is let me ask. I need to, I need to ask you some coach like questions to okay. kind of what is recovery? The word recovery. What does that look like? You know to that you? I got recovery uh, in my blood when I was wrote my first book, Deep Recovery. I was working with addiction medicine, where people are actually stuck in programs that they can't uh, leave. And I think recovery is a process, just like we were talking about the whole business of self-management is a process or unmanageable cognitive uh, managing oneself is a process. You being an attention coach is an attention to process. Recovery is an activity as opposed to not being in recovery, which is more or less one way or another denial. This is not a problem. I can live with it. I'm not harming individuals. I'm not harming myself. And I'm just going to stay on this path of uh, innocence and systems one thinking. So that's what recovery, mm. recovery is a big. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to convert that to my world. You mean, how do you pause and override that automatic response or that program response or the inertia that you've been on? How do you stop and choose a different path? Yeah. That, yes. That, because that, that is one. That, yep. That is the challenge of ADHD. You know, just to digress real second, one of the things that I do, Dr. Parker, is when I'm working with those with ADHD, I talk about how the brain's a low voltage electrical system and you have a wave electricity that gets to the end and neurotransmitters are sprayed into the gap and allows electricity to jump from one neuron to the next and man cascade through the attention network and manifests as a thought, feeling, behavior, da da da. And then I talk about when those neurotransmitters are sprayed into that gap, they're reuptaked and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that mechanism doesn't work. It's quite the same way for everybody else. Now, while this model is crude, it's very simple because I focus on the, the neurotransmitter dopamine. And I talk mm -hmm. about how it's the reward neurotransmitter. And thanks to you, I interviewed Dr. Kenneth Bloom years ago about this very topic. And the first question I asked him in the interview, Dr. Bloom, are we addicted to drugs? Are we addicted to dopamine? He goes, wow, I've never been asked that. We're actually addicted to dopamine. The drugs that we're addicted to increase the level of dopamine. And so with that simple model, I frame it out and I say, you know, your brain is like Pavlov's dog. If, it, if you're hitting the lever and you don't get dopamine, it's going to go find another lever to push. And if you hit a lever and you get the dopamine, you keep pushing it. Now, with that simple said, and I'm, I'm sorry I'm talking so fast because I like to bring the logic together. So then I basically roll that into Dr. Barkley's ADHD is a self-regulation issue. It's the ability to pause and override. It's the ability of the alcoholic to leave the bar and go home and unengage your attention in that situation. And I like to make these things tangible, um, Dr. Parker, because when I can do it in that way and they can begin, it's no longer self-regulation. It's no longer impulsivity, at least in their mind. This is just a way of looking at it. It's not necessarily science per se, but they look at it and they go, oh, wow, you're not distracted. You're not impulsive. You just have a self-regulation problem. You're having a hard time staying focused and not letting your attention. And how do you bring your attention back on that? And I have actually attention exercises where particularly people that are not ADHD so they can understand experience. And I'll actually, as an aside, I'll say, you know, Dr. Barber, go make, go prepare, eat, and clean up a meal using your less dominant hand. And you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about in terms of self-regulation because it's very effortful for you to use your less dominant hand as your dominant. And so by making it tangible like that or, or doing the booting the computer and helping people begin to witness it, many with ADHD 
don't struggle with emotional self-regulation. And they logically can see it. It's fascinating to me how they'll solve their own problems because once I make it tangible, they get it. For those that struggle with emotional self-regulation, once we know what works on that side, we start talking about how to downregulate emotions. And I learned this from Autumn Zatani at Sesame Street and Melissa Orlov and Part From You. And there's one way to do it is you have to notice yourself in the moment. And that's the most difficult thing to get people with ADHD to do. Often you work with part like feel it in your body because that's the trigger. But when people are in, I call it fight, fight, or freeze or flooding or, you know, whatever vernacular you want to use, basically your brain is freaked out. You pause, you breathe to get oxygen in, you downregulate the emotions, you distance yourself by counting one, two, three, whatever, and you brainstorm. And I like to explain to all these people that I've interviewed how they're all talking about the same process. The words are different. And by making that tangible and for people to begin to observe themselves and witness when it happens, what I found, Dr. Parker, is as I make it tangible and they can see how it manifests, they start to notice it. And at first, they notice it well after the fact. If I'm lucky, as time goes on, the noticing of it works back up its way and we get to the point of performance. And it's in that moment that we get the pause for them to stop and self-regulate and override the situation. Or another form of getting unstuck is to witness. If I walk into there, I already, I've witnessed myself so many times, I'm going to go into emotional turmoil, so I'm going to avoid going there to begin with. In other words, if I walk into the bar and start having some drinks, I'm going to be stuck and never be able to get out of it, so I'm not even going to go to the bar to begin with. So all that is a very long-winded answer. The, the simplicity of it is I like to help people see attention in their mind and see how it manifests in their behavior in a consistent logical fashion and then as they get that awareness many of them can override it on their own others i work with on the emotional side to get them to pause to down regulate and there's triggers for them to remember what they know to work at that point in time and it's it's there's different things that i do over a period of time to help them in the moment understand to implement what we've proven but it's through that process it's not random. It's as individual as the person. But what's really cool is when it clicks for them and they understand it, how there's this huge, oh, I get it. And I've always been fascinated with you. You talk about like Galileo and, and the different views of the world is when they finally discover that the world is round and it's not flat. Things become obvious for them. So anyway, I, I didn't mean to drone on too much, but the, the trick is, is how do I deal with the recovery? How do I get them to pause? I help them begin to witness their own patterns of attention and be able to predict their own behavior. And then they inhibit, well, they, they set up things so they're not tempted. And then they learn to recognize it when they're in it and then stop and implement what we know to work. It's like, wait a second, I'm procrastinating. What am I not clear about? How am I going to get clarity? How do I typically get clarity on things I'm confused? Let's go do that. And when I get clarity, I will come back and finish what I was doing. So in a nutshell, that's the process. Well, you know, Jeff, it's interesting because it's kind of uh, a lot of thoughts are coming in my mind while I'm walking down the path with you and listening to you conceptualize working with an individual. One thing I'm thinking about is that it's and not to get too far off the beam, but it's a, it's a transcendent process. It's a process in which you're encouraging and developing the powers of self-observation in a constructive way. It's not self-observation in a negative way. It's not like, what am I doing wrong? It's like, just 
needing to see that there is that problem in the first place puts a person in a transcendent state of mind in a mini, mini meditation in the context of that reality. And they're developing a skill. It's really kind of lacking a skill in the first place, but they're developing a skill through your care and your work and your guidance, how to actually draw back and form their own internal opinion about what to do next. It's not going to be a Jeff opinion because I know you, Jeff. You may yep. say something about it, but you're not going to say, hey, this is the copper way of handling that reality because you're too smart for that. You're not going to get caught with that. But somebody may say, well, Jeff, what would you do? I mean, hey, you know, the issue isn't what I would do. The issue is what would you would do. And that transcendent moment is, is a very, very important learning. And uh, in, in every one of the therapies that any of us do, whether you're working as a functional uh, attention coach, whether you're working yep. psychoanalysis, it's all, a lot of that is the same. It's, it's quite interesting. So I literally... I, what you said is spot on. Literally, I was coaching a guy about two months ago, and I was asking him, what, one of the things, I, what do you learn about yourself and what's working? And he said, you know what's working is you're making ADHD an object to me. It's, it's not me. It's this thing. Yeah, and yeah. because you made it an object, I'm able to observe it without the emotion, and I'm seeing it for what it is. And he says, it's fascinating because now that I – I'm not, I don't have the emotion. I see it over there. I now can manage it. And it's funny because I, earlier I described is like, I don't, it's all about self-observation. Really? What's your recipe to be 10 minutes late? I'm no longer getting caught. Let's, let, it's all about self-observation. Let's stop and just watch yourself. Oh, I, you know, I actually have a flawless system because I don't like to be bored. It's, it's, it's a lot of what I'm doing is really helping people witness their attention in their own way. I just have a few frames to help them understand it. But like in the procrastination, the five reasons people procrastinate is just stop and look and say, what's hard about this? And through that fundamental questions or what am I not clear about? It helps them make it an object and it helps them observe what's really there and now they can get to the crux of the issue and not just put posters and inspire themselves to live a fight another day it's a sustainable strategy just based off of stopping and managing themselves through basic observation again it's it's we, we're still on procrastination it starts with you witnessing yourself because what works for you is different but that's what the rest of the world is different is they're just throwing normative strategies at people that don't work and they get frustrated by it, and they, there's an emotional reaction as a result of some of that stuff. They say, wait a second, the legitimate reason. I'm not clear. Okay, that's fine. Now let's go find out how to get clear. Yeah, so what you're doing is you're turning the pejorative word procrastination into an operational, self-constructive, self-management term, which has to do with an improved level of self-observation. I mean, if we're really thinking about it, we do have to wind up here and I got to move on to our next person that we're talking to. But if you think about it, the whole issue of procrastination is a pejorative term. That's a person who is innocent, if you will, in, in the context of what we're talking about. And then what uh, Jeff Copper is talking about so eloquently and so pragmatically is that if we take that moment which at first looks like a negative uh, experience and reconstruct it in the context of that reality in a, in a productive. So it's not a counterproductive way. We turn it into a productive way through some of the tools 
that Jeff was talking about, then it becomes an internal educational experience, an opportunity for self-mastery and self-growth that just didn't occur before. So with that, I'm going to have to wind up, Jeff. You want to take a moment here as we do uh, close. I want to thank you so much again. I just love talking to you. Uh, you know, it's great. This is the only way we have a chance to talk. I haven't been to a meeting lately with you. So I really appreciate the chance to talk to you. And so tell us a little well, bit more. I'm indebtedly grateful for our relationship because in the way I think and the way you think in terms of breaking it down to get to what's under the hood, I've, you, you've been an invaluable friend and confidant for mine for years. And I, I just, I value the conversations. I value where you're going. I think you're doing great things with, with, uh, with these interviews and some stuff by, by revealing the mystery. So like when I, when I first said, you, you know, the medications have to go through the body to get to the brain. I'm like, no, duh. How come nobody else is talking about that? And I'm just grateful that you're out there educating the public to get to the real issue. And so I, I just, it's just an honor that you have me on the show. So thanks. Thank you, Jeff. So tell everybody where we can get you. I'll have it in the show notes, but why don't we wind up that for those people who are in the car? Two sides of my business. One is the coaching business. And that's digcoaching.com. Uh, I do one-on-one -on -one coaching. I do group coaching. And I do, like, some uh, education. And then I also have the Attention Talk Network, which is my media side. That's Attention Talk News, Attention Talk Radio, and Attention Talk Video. And you can find all those by going to that URL, attentiontalkradio.com, attentiontalkvideo.com, attentiontalknews.com. And if you search for Attention Talk Radio, unlike iTunes or some of the other stickler, those types of things, I'm also in their libraries. Jeff, my friends, is easy to find. If you put attention talk, he's going to be all over your computer, so it'll be real easy to find him. And it's digcoaching, D-I-G, coaching.com. Is that right, Jeff? Yeah, the dig stands for I, the damn I'm good. And backwards, it's get it done for those that are just kind of curious. <laughs> Great. And the dig coaching, That's... you activate daily because it's all about the aha, the I get it. Once you get it, it, everything's easy. If you don't get it, you're just throwing spaghetti against the wall. And <laughs> we're, you, I know you're against science-based thought process, and we're just trying to help you get it so that you can manage it. Thanks so much, Jeff. It's been great talking to you again. We'll meet again someday. You, ha you have a thanks, good one, Jeff. Thanks so much. All right, I'll see you, buddy. Thanks for listening to Core Brain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because, as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications like those written for ADHD are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.